you join me please in welcoming Eric to the stage? Eric is going to bring our message this morning. Eric works with uh, Business for Transformation in Southeast Asia where they develop uh, eco-tourism resorts to, uh, to employ and empower local populations and uh, open up avenues for the gospel. Uh, let's pray for Eric as he comes. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, Eric will open it for us. And we pray that as we hear your word read and preached, that it would change us, move us, call us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. It is a privilege to be here this morning. What a phenomenal place to be. What an amazing few days, starting several nights ago with a grand event here, but this uh, faith church never fails to deliver an amazing time when we come through. I imagine other people experience the same thing, but this is phenomenal to be here. What an honor. We appreciate the way that you welcome us, the way that you love us, and uh, these experiences are great for those of us who don't get to come through that often. We're going to be looking this morning uh, at the book of Mark, Mark chapter 6. But before we do that, my wife told me that I need to make sure I tell you who we are, where we are, what's going on. So I'm going to do that as we get started. And that's going to lead us this morning into our study of the word together. Uh, we want you to know that we feel that we're a part of your family. Hopefully you guys feel that too. I, we sense that when we're here. But we also want you to know that you, Faith Church, are a part of what God is doing among the Sea Tribe people of Southeast Asia. I hope that's clear as we share uh, today, as I share today. Here's our story. We left here nearly 16 years ago now uh, to head to Southeast Asia. And uh, that's what we looked like when we left. There was three of us. By the way, this boy is in the back somewhere. I don't know where he is. There he is. This, that little boy is no longer little. Keeps telling his dad he's going to pass me up pretty soon, which may happen, but... We left 16 years ago, and we have been seeking to minister through business to the Sea Tribe people. The Sea Tribe people, you can just scroll through these. Uh, yeah, they'll let the pictures go, and some of them will hit on what I'm saying. Some you'll enjoy looking at. The Sea Tribe people are a people group of several million. Uh, they live traditionally largely as just sustenance-level fishermen. That's how they make their living. Our desire is to see transformation happen among them. We want to see economic transformation, social transformation. We'd love to see environmental trans transformation. We really want to see spiritual transformation happen among these people. Quick side note, those of you who own businesses, who are leaders in businesses, uh, the longer we do what we're doing, the more we believe that God is calling all of us to use everything he has given to show and to share the love of Jesus. I hope if I were running a business here in the U.S., I would hope I'd be seeking to utilize it in a very similar way that we're doing in Southeast Asia. So quick side note for you business people out there. Now, after 16 years, almost 16 years, I think the reality has sunk in. Reality has sunk in. Working in areas that have had and continue to have no or very little Christian witness is hard 
work. We can continue uh, to think and pray about the day when the harvest will come, the day when we see a movement of people coming to faith. Uh, we, we yearn for that day. We are excited and we're able to share the word. That's, that's probably our reality more than seeing people come into the kingdom. It's looking for those opportunities to share the word, to share the gospel, to share our testimony. And even more than that, we're focused on simply preparing the soil. Our progress is not being measured in how many have come to faith, not even in how many have heard the word. Rather, our progress oftentimes is being measured in the number of rocks we're pulling out of this hard and seemingly infertile soil. Although we are sometimes discouraged, we're not dismayed. Though we are often tired, we continue to renew ourselves in the Lord and the work that he's called us to. This summer, I had a really interesting uh, experience. We were home in the States earlier this summer. Uh, My wife had a roommate from college who was getting married. Uh, It's a unique story because this young lady, her older brother, was my roommate in college. It's actually how I met my wife. So we were excited to go to a wedding in central Illinois to a farm. And uh, we showed up. We had a great weekend, enjoyed our time there. But the most amazing experience I had was standing outside of the family barn one afternoon talking with the father who was just finishing up a several-year process of turning the farm over to another son. And I was just fascinated hearing all the things that go on on this farm and what they're doing and how they farm it and what, what this piece of machinery is for and this and that. And I was surprised to hear the son tell me that a strip of land right next to the barn, right near the house, they had just started planting it within the last year or two. First time in the history of their family they planted that. And so I asked, I said, you know, this is it's a great spot. It's close to your barn. It's close to your house. Why did you just start planting this, this plot right here? You've owned this land for three generations. What's going on? And he said, you know, my grandfather noticed early on when we got this farm that this land was really rocky. And every couple years, he'd plow it. He'd pull some rocks out. He'd wait for more to come up, plow it again, pull the rocks out. My father did the same thing. When I started taking over a number of years ago, I was doing the same thing. And finally this year, we figured out it's good. We can start planting. We can start sowing seed on this land. What I've come to learn is that just like in farming, the work of pulling rocks, work of plowing soil, feeding and fertilizer, it's a role just as important in God's kingdom as that of harvesting and sowing. We are excited. We are excited when we see someone come to faith. We are thrilled when we have opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share a testimony, to share a word. We are becoming more and more excited about the preparing of the soil, the faithful testimony that comes from plowing with prayer, plowing with love. We know that that precedes the sowing, which precedes the harvest. We're so excited about this role that over the last years, we felt the Lord calling us into helping to see this kind of work begin in new unreached areas, least reached peoples. Uh, Several of us on our team have spent the last few years traveling around our country and our region, 
looking for areas where we could expand our company that also happen to be areas with unreached peoples. Just earlier this year, about four months ago, we purchased a plot of land among the B people, an unreached people group in our country. We've already uh, have a couple people that are planning on heading there very shortly. We're currently uh, encouraging others to think and pray about it. We are excited about getting a new team set up in a new place, hopefully within the next two years here, doing a work very similar to what we see going on up in our area right now and beginning, beginning this work of preparing the soil. We believe God has called us into his story, his mission, that of his gospel going forward to the ends of the earth, and that brings us to our text today. So let me open with a word of prayer. Lord, we are grateful that we can be here together this morning, that we can be digging into your word and learning from you this morning, and that is indeed our prayer. Help that to be what happens this morning. May each of us hear that specific word that you want to speak into our hearts, into our lives this morning about being called to mission. Help us to sense your leading and your direction. Lord, my prayer is that the words that are shared would be your words, not mine. Lord, take away anything that's not from you and may you be elevated, may you be lifted up and glorified. We ask and pray this morning. Amen. We're going to look at Mark 6. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Your phones, your devices, that's what we say these days, right? And before we read at least the first half of this passage, I want to give you the main point right out of the gate. Our sermon today is entitled, Call to Mission, but, but here's the main point. It's right there in the title. God calls us to mission. We are called to be men and women on mission. This is a call for all of those who would follow God. Join him in his mission. Now, what is this mission? This mission is what we've, we've read from Genesis all the way up through Mark chapter 6, and it's what we're going to keep seeing from Mark chapter 6 until the end of Revelation. All right? It's the mission of God calling the world to himself. The coming of his kingdom, and, and that is for all who would believe, not just for the Jews, not just for the Americans, for all who would believe. In these verses, we're going to see seven realities of being called to mission, seven realities, what's involved in and with this mission. We're going to see an interesting uh, technique that Mark uses where he actually takes two stories. He's going to sandwich one story in the middle of another story. And, and the one in the middle might seem disconnected, unrelated, but we're going to see that it talks about the realities of being called to mission. Let's look at Mark 6, starting in verse 6b through 13, and then we'll just we'll hit verse 30 as well. Follow along as I read this. And he went about among the villages teaching, and he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. 
And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if, in any, pl- uh, if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Verse 30 says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So here's this first story. Christ is sending his disciples out on mission. He's he's, uh, begun his, his public ministry. He's called 12 disciples to come to him, to follow him. He's begun preaching about the kingdom of God. He's healed people. He's gone to his own hometown and been rejected. And now we see him sending out the 12 disciples on mission. And here's the first reality that we see about being called to mission. God's mission involves going. God's mission involves going. We see this right away in verse 7. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. We are called to God's mission. And that mission involves going. We see here that it's kind of fun. We see him calling them to go two by two, not alone. I like that. I'm an extrovert. I like being with others. I think this has a basis in Old Testament law. If you want to share a testimony, you need two witnesses to make it verifiable, to make it trustworthy. So there's a basis of Old Testament law here. I think there's also a lot of wisdom from our Lord. Go together. Don't, don't be alone in this. We're called to go together. But the principle here is we are called to go Every time we come home to the States, somebody asked me today, where is home? But it's a great question, but I'll use that word about the States because I grew up here. Every time we come home to the States, I meet at least one person, if not multiple people, who say to me, oh, I could never do what you do. I could never do what you do. I probably said that to other people when I was young too, maybe. I don't know, but, but people say it to me. And I, I think a lot of times they simply mean... Uh, that they could never imagine going halfway around the world to Southeast Asia working amongst a Muslim people group. I I get that. That that makes sense. But oftentimes, I hear people say that, and I think there's something deeper behind those words. When they say, "I I can't do that, it seems to me that they think they can't be involved in God's mission in that way by going, by reaching out to the lost, by fishing for men and women. I think, unfortunately, many in our church today have become victims of our modern evangelical teaching. Some go, some send. That's your choice. Which is it going to be? I don't, I don't see that in Scripture. I don't see that here. God isn't calling us to make a choice between one and the other. In fact, I believe Jesus is calling all of us to go. We are all called to go. In their book, Deep Mentoring, Guiding Others on Their Leadership Journey, Randy D. Reese and Robert Lone say this, it's a wonderful moment when we can help others realize God's spirit has entered their particular story. An even greater moment occurs when we guide others to discover that not only is God part of their story, 
but they are part of God's story. We are called by God to be on mission. We are called to go. We are called to go. Now, I'm, I'm seeing, I think, a few people that are starting to squirm in their seats a little bit. Uh, the pastors and elders may wonder where I'm taking this. So let me, let me explain what I think this means, lest you walk out right now and not hear everything else. Uh, not all of us are called to go all the way, halfway around the world. Not all of us are called to go across the country. Not everyone's called to go across the city or across the state. Some of us, God calls to our own neighborhoods, calls us to go to our own neighborhoods. He calls us to go to our own families, to our own workplaces. That's where God's mission takes us. But don't lose sight of the truth. We are called to be on mission with God, to be a part of his story, and that involves going. I want to ask you a couple questions. I want you to think about these things. You can think about these after the service as well, but my question is this. Are you going? Do you see yourself as an active part of God's mission to reach the world? Is God calling you to your own neighborhood? your family to the least reached around the world? Don't be lulled into the belief that once you accept Christ, you can simply lead a good life, enjoy God's blessings, watch your Sunday football, be happy. We are called by God to be on mission, and we are called to go. So that's our first reality. Here's the second one. God gives what is needed to succeed in his mission. God gives what is needed to succeed in his mission. This is also in verse 7. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Jesus gave them power over the unclean spirits. If you look at the parallel passage in Matthew, we see... uh, uh, sister passage to this in Matthew, he, he expands on that there. It's not just power over unclean spirits, it's power to heal the sick. Jesus was calling his disciples to a rather specific short-term trip, a serve and learn. Is that the right term? One in which they were not only to preach the kingdom of God, but they were to go and heal people, cast out spirits. So what did he do? He gave them his power. He gave them exactly what they needed to accomplish the mission he assigned. God does not call us to something we cannot do. Maybe a a better way to say that is God gives us what we need for the mission he has called us into. That's probably a more biblical way of stating that. Those who say, I I can't do that, guess what? You're right, you can't. But God can. God can, and he gives what we need. When we left for Southeast Asia almost 16 years ago, there were six of us that went together, and we knew we were being called into business. And as we got on the plane, I remember looking around and asking everyone, how many business classes did you get in college? And one of us had one business class. 
This is not, this is a rather inauspicious start to a business venture. But God had given us a host of other experiences and learnings that more than compensated for that lack of education. I had worked at a large publishing company for a number of years after college. I worked at Target Corporation, their corporate headquarters, for a year and a half. Uh, had some business experience there. One of our teammates had worked at Wheaton College in leadership development and in, in ministry programs. Got, g- gathered a, a wealth of experience. Another one of our teammates had just finished four years in the U.S. military as an officer. Talk about amazing experiences, things that he learned. It also just so happens to turn out, we didn't know it at the time, but the military guy is a born entrepreneur. The guy could sell ice to Eskimos if you asked him to. He is amazing. So God gave us what we needed, exactly what we needed to accomplish what he was assigning to us. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to ask a really direct question. What are the excuses you come up with in your own mind to not joining God in his mission? I'm only asking that because I do that all the time. I think of all the reasons I can't do something or I shouldn't, why I can't go to here or to there, why I'm maybe too busy. Truth is, see that in this passage, God gives exactly what we need to accomplish what he's called us to. That's our second reality. Here's the third reality of being called to mission. We are called to travel light. We are called to travel light. Some of you in this room are probably saying amen right now. Those of you that take a little small backpack wherever you go and that's it. Others of us may not be hearing that, but let me read to you verses 8 and 9. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Jesus was calling his disciples to travel light. I'll explain more about what that might mean today here in a minute, but what I get from this is God will provide for our needs God will provide for our personal needs as we join him in mission. So Jesus instructed his his disciples to take the bare essentials. Take a staff. You need that. You're going up and down the hills in in Israel. Take some some sandals for your feet. No No money. No bag. No food. Don't even take extra clothes. Basically, what do you got on you? Go. That's it. Go. When we travel, I'm the kind of person that likes to think ahead. All right, what am I gonna, what are we gonna, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? What are we going to encounter? Okay, I might need these shoes. I might need those shoes. I'm going to need this jacket, that shirt. And usually we come back from a trip, and about half my bag is still clean clothes, neatly folded, untouched. I just never used them. Drives my wife nuts. <laughs> I don't think that's what... I'm convicting myself here. I don't think that's what God is calling us to. Principle we see in these verses is that God will provide for our needs. We do not need to worry. We don't need to think through everything. We are to go, and as we go, we are to trust God for everything we're going to need. God is calling us to a life 
of faith. Now, in this example, Christ is calling these 12 men to a very specific short-term trip. I don't think, in general, God is calling us to leave our homes with nothing but a rain jacket and a pair of shoes on, okay? I don't think that's what he's saying here. In fact, if we were to flip to, uh, forward to Luke chapter 22, before Christ finishes his ministry, his, he tells his disciples, take a bag, take money, get food, get ready, and go. So there is a component of let's be wise, let's prepare, but it doesn't change the principle we see here. The principle of trusting in God for our needs, that's an integral part of the journey with him on his mission. So brothers and sisters, are the things of this world preventing you from going? Are you concerned more with meeting your physical and emotional needs than joining God in his mission? If yes, I just want to tell you, God promises to give us exactly what we need in all situations. I want to encourage you with that. That's our third reality of being called to mission. Here's the fourth reality. God's mission is important. God's mission is important. Look at verses 10 and 11 with me. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. God, Jesus, is showing his disciples this is important. How is he doing that? He's telling them, when you go and you arrive somewhere... Stay put. Don't bounce around from house to house looking for who has the best guest room, who's got the nicest swimming pool, what person prepares the best meals. No, stay put. Stay focused. This is important. Eternity is at stake. God's glory is at stake. Let's not be fooling around when it comes to this mission. We see that the results of those who reject the message, what happens to them, it is severe. The Jewish custom of dusting, shaking the dust off of themselves when they would leave a Gentile place, it was a sign of cleansing, a sign of contempt. I think here we see this this command to shake the dust off as a pronouncement on the people who are rejecting God, rejecting his message. Now, just so we're clear, I want to make sure, uh, I don't want to give you the wrong impression of what we mean by rejection here. I, I don't see in scripture this meaning we share the gospel, someone hears it, they don't accept him right away. These people may still be on a journey. This was a very specific rejection, physical rejection People chasing away, kicking out, throwing out his disciples. And the results, consequences, were severe. The mission that we are called into is not one that we should take lightly. The mission is a story of all of redemption history. 
The story of God drawing all peoples to himself. Here's my question for you. How often do you think of this mission? How often does God's wooing of the lost all over the world, how often does that enter your mind? How much time, how much energy, how much resources do you put into joining God in this mission? Whenever we talk about missions, the topic of resources comes up, doesn't it? People, money, time, etc. Invariably, the discussion turns towards what is lacking. There's not enough people to go. There's not enough money to send people. A couple years ago, I had a conversation with my Uncle Charlie, and he shared with me his thoughts on that. And I have shared these extensively ever since. Uncle Charlie says, the issue is not a lack of resources. The issue is a lack of vision. The resources are there. God has provided them. We lack the vision to appropriately allocate what God has entrusted for the fulfillment of what God has commanded. When we understand the importance of God's mission, this mission that we're called into, that vision causes resources to align for his redemptive work. Jesus' words here show us the importance of this mission. I hope you see that. I hope you sense. This is not just a one weekend a year kind of a thing. This is every day as you work, as you live, as you play, as you rest. So that's our fourth reality. Here's the fifth reality of being called to mission. God shows up when we join him. God shows up when we join him. Look at verses 12 and 13. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The the disciples somehow, almost unbelievably, they actually accomplish what Jesus has instructed. This ragtag group of largely uneducated, normal, everyday men, I think close to half of them were fishermen, for crying out loud. They went forth and they saw amazing things happen. Jesus' power went with them. They preached a message of repentance. They saw demons cast out. The sick people were healed. And what we see here is that when we join God on mission, he shows up. He shows up. Earlier, I talked about just the struggle we've had. It's been, in some respects, a long 15 and a half years. But there have been amazing things that have happened in the last 15 years. There are people who are faithfully following the Lord, growing in their faith, actively sharing with others. There are many that we see that we believe are close to the kingdom of God. We've seen fires stopped. We've seen sick people healed. We've seen governments moved. We've seen workers mobilized and raised up. God has shown up 
in ways that I could never have imagined 15 years ago. Here's my question for you, brothers and sisters. How are you seeing God show up in what he has called you to do? Are you seeing it? If you're joining him on mission, he will show up. He will show up. God calls us to mission. We see these five realities of being called to mission in this this first story. And the story ends actually in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. But in between verse 13 and verse 30, there's another story, a story that at first glance, maybe it doesn't look related. But as we dig into this, I believe we see at least two more realities of being called to mission. Let's read this second story, starting in verse 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers at work within him. But others said, well, he's Elijah. And others said he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, and the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. She came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. At first glance, if you're like me, this is really confusing. (laughs) What? Obviously, Mark is making a connection here because this story is placed in the middle of the other story. What in the world does this have to do with Jesus sending out his 12 disciples? I was hearing some really cool things a minute ago, and now I'm having to hear about the death of John the Baptist. I'm sure there are many reasons as to why this is here, but I think God wants us to see, Mark wants us to see two other realities of being called to mission. So here's reality number six. Sin is real. Sin is real. John the Baptist and Herod, they had this ongoing thing. John was calling out Herod's sin. Herod had 
taken his brother's wife to be his wife. Uh, and I think there was another relational connection going on there that made it even worse. Um, this is something he shouldn't have done. And the sin gets even worse from there. He has a party. He decides to show off his niece. Probably not in some nice, respectful dance. Probably something rather provocative. And makes a rash vow. And when she asks for something she shouldn't have asked for, he didn't say no. He says yes. And he has John executed. Sin is real. When we follow God on his mission, we will face the reality of sin in the world. It is messy. It is messy. It's ugly. It's not usually fun to deal with. My generation, Gen X, we love to talk about fun. We want to have fun. Sin is not usually a fun thing to deal with. But it is the reality of the mission God is calling us into. My question for you is, what messiness in life are you seeing around you? What are you dealing with as you join God in his mission? We're going to see it. We're going to see it, brothers and sisters, when we go out, when we go We will see that sin is real. Here's our last reality of being called to mission. Seventh reality. The mission is dangerous. The mission is dangerous. I think it can be easy for us to talk about those first five realities we got in the first story. Uh, God gives what we need to succeed. He provides for our personal needs. He shows up. We go. It's great. I love it. Let's do it. We sometimes lose sight of some of these other realities. Mark is reminding us here, this this mission is dangerous. There is someone in this world that does not want to see God's mission completed. He does not, uh, well, I shouldn't say he does not. He is actively fighting against us. Human sin and the work of Satan means that this mission will be treacherous. Treacherous. Some will be lost along the way. Some will lose their lives. All will suffer. Did you hear me? All will suffer. That's a reality joining God in his mission. Over the past 15 years, we've seen and experienced a lot of challenges. Sickness, both in us and our teammates. Moral failures in those we love. Fellow workers leaving due to family issues and struggles. Co-workers who've come in and have actively inhibited the work that the Lord is doing. Corrupt government workers A local land mafia guy trying to extort us. That's the most recent one. Forest fires. Threats. We have seen many well-intentioned brothers and sisters taken out out of mission, out of God's mission by their own sin. I think for me the saddest story is the story... Uh, that we don't hear about very often. It's actually the story that all of us are in the most danger of falling into. 
That is the story of the everyday, ineffectual Christian who has no connection to God's mission because he or she, he or she is simply caught up in the things of this world. They've become distracted, enraptured with something other than God. Mission is dangerous. It's not, God doesn't promise that it will be easy. But let's not lose sight of all of these realities. As we join God on mission, these are the things that we are going to see. As we close this morning, I want to ask you one last question, maybe with a few follow-up questions. How are you joining God in his mission? How are you joining God in his mission? What are you doing to fish for men and women? God's call is clear. We are to be involved in his mission. It's not a question of whether we should be. The question is, how are we? How are we involved? I want to encourage you this morning Take time to think about that. Maybe later on this afternoon when you go home, think about that. How are you involved in God's mission? And I want to encourage you to reach out to people that can maybe help you. We have in this church an abundance of resources, people who would love to walk alongside us. If you're feeling that God is putting it into your heart, kind of nudging you that, hey, I need to be more active in going to my neighborhood, going to my place of work, going to my family. Talk to the pastors, the elders. Talk to some of the leaders here. I, I know they would love to come alongside you in that, to encourage you in that. If you feel that the Lord may be calling you to go across the country, to go around the world, to, to join him on his mission to the least reached places of the world, I want you to come and talk to myself, Come and talk to some of the Global Outreach Committee members. I think they'll be up here. Some of them will be up here after the service. They would love to talk to you. Talk to Mark. Where's Mark? If you, if you like business, talk to this guy. He can get you connected. Tim is floating around somewhere. can tell you about teaching English, joining in Campus Works. Marlene, that, we would love to chat with you. We want you to find the place that God has ordained for you in his mission. This would, would bring us great joy. It would be, bring God amazing glory and we know would create amazing things within his kingdom. So let's do that. Join God on his mission. Let's, let's fish. Let's fish. Let me close us in prayer this morning. Lord, we are grateful. Grateful that we can dig into your word this morning. Mark chapter 6, Lord, we're grateful for your words. We want to pray that your spirit right now would just be continuing to touch each of us, including myself, Lord. Where do we need to be joining you in mission? What is the calling you've, been, you've placed on our lives? Is there a change that needs to happen? Would you be glorified in, in helping us, Father, to see, to sense, to hear that? And may we honor you by faithfully following where you lead. We give you the glory and the honor this morning and we pray this 
In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.